You see on your outline this morning what we're going to talk about from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And I'm going to read the first few verses here in a moment, 24 through 30, and then I want you to keep your Bibles open because we will reference the second passage uh, as explanation. It is Jesus' explanation of a parable. And uh, so just so you'll know when we get there. The myth that I want us to look at today on your outline is a loving God would never allow a person to go to hell. How many of you have heard that line before? How many of you have heard something like that? Yeah, probably most of it. In some form or, or fashion, you've heard this, this uh, line. Well, if God is a God of love, why would he send anyone to hell? Now, it sounds so caring, doesn't it? It sounds so appropriate, uh, that kind of uh, logic. But in reality, it is a co-op, when somebody, a co- uh, cop-out, when somebody says to you, uh, well, why would a loving God allow anybody to go to hell? Well, it is really an attempt to make God the villain and say, well, God can't be who he says because he wouldn't allow such a thing. It's a subtle way of saying if God really cares, he'll allow everyone to live their life, live it how they wish, live it and believe what they want, and then he will at the end reward everybody with a wonderful life. You see, the devil cultivates this myth through the idea that God wants to restrict you. God is a villain. He wants to restrict your freedom, and and he wants to hold you hostage with eternal consequences. And uh, in other words, it is a myth that is birthed out of the fear of the loss of freedom. God will take our freedom away. And the world defines freedom today as a life without any restraint. I ought to be free to do anything I want to do. I ought to be free to say anything I want to say. I ought to be free to, to, to live my life without anybody telling me anything. And we often hear that argued today in this cancel culture that we're living in. Uh, by people who want to cancel things that they don't like but turn around and say you've got to tolerate things that you don't like and so it's a it's kind of a perverse uh, um, dichotomy the fact is you are free to choose how you want to live you really are free to choose how you want to live in fact the bible teaches that but the bible also teaches that with every choice that you make there are consequences and once you make that choice you are no longer free because with the choice comes consequences. The Bible says what you sow, you will reap. Now, God has given you freedom. He's given you freedom. Do your own thing. But he hasn't given you an exemption from the consequences. Hello? Barner Research uh, recently uh, uh, polled Americans on uh, what their thoughts of hell, heaven and hell were. And... Uh, most of the Americans in the poll, in the survey, do not expe- uh, expect to, uh, to go to hell. Most of them do not expect to, to spend their eternity or experience it on any level. Just one half, that is 0.5 of 1% of Americans, expect to go to hell upon their death. Uh, nearly two-thirds of Americans, 64%, said, I'm going to heaven, regardless of their religious background. Uh, One in 20 adults, uh, that's 5%, claim that they will come back uh, as another life form. Uh, And then 5% uh, contend that they will simply cease to exist. Now, one of the prime reasons that so many people believe that they will uh, not go to hell has nothing to do with their having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It rather is because so many people in our age have bought into the myth that we're talking about this morning, and it is that they believe that because God is love, it means that they can live however they wish to, and God will not 
uh, will not impound or impose upon them any kinds of serious consequences. Now, John writes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And then he says, God is love. The most talked about attribute, uh, attribute of God, his love, is, however, the most misunderstood, I think, in many occasions. What does it mean when it says God, uh, God is love? And it's important that we not confuse what it means when, when we say God is love. For, uh, for example, it doesn't say love is God. It says God is love. Uh, and there's a big difference, isn't there? I mean, it's one thing for me to say that um, my dog is a girl. It's another thing if I say my girl is a dog. One will get you in real trouble, right? And so we have to understand not to confuse when we say God is love with the idea that love is God. They're not the same thing. And I've noticed now over the years, and I've preached on heaven on many occasions, but I've noticed there's very little debate about heaven. There's very little debate in our culture about it. Everybody wants to say, I'm going to heaven. The vast majority of people uh, accept a, a real and an eternal heaven as the research that I just shared with you uh, supports. They see themselves as going to heaven. And you don't have to persuade people about heaven. A preacher, that's one thing that a preacher doesn't have to persuade people about. Do you, do you like the idea of heaven? Do you like the idea of going to heaven when you die? You don't have to persuade people uh, about those things. And, and so I'm not going to spend uh, uh, the time today in this message on the matter of heaven, though it is clearly referenced by Jesus in the passage that we're going to look at uh, but that's for another uh, message when we might just deal specifically with, with heaven. Today I've entitled the message, wheat, uh, Weeds and Wheat, or Wheat and Weeds, and it's because this is a parable about that subject, and I think when you understand, uh, when we read, you'll see why I've named it just that. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to read verses 24 through verse 30 this morning. This is what Jesus says. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed uh, weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, least in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Father, uh, I pray that you'll enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, uh, speak to us this morning from your word. Teach us, instruct us, and Father, I, help, I pray that you'll, you'll uh, show us, Father, if we're weeds or we're wheat. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now keep your Bible open. We're going to reference the explanation that Jesus gives for this parable in just a bit. This is commonly, as I've said, referred to as parable of the weeds. Uh, it focuses on the reality of both the saved and the lost, but it t points out that they are operating together until the ultimate harvest. That is, they're operating the field as the world. The one who is sowed is Christ. That is the gospel seed. 
The wheat are those who have responded and received the message of the gospel. The weeds are those who may be religious. They could be counterfeits, but they have, they're still in the field, and it's hard to tell the difference. In fact, scholars tell us that at the early stages of the wheat and the weeds, it was almost imperceptible. You couldn't tell one from the other. And so, uh, so this parable alludes to the counterfeits and to both the weeds and the wheat growing up in the same field, that is the world, together until the harvest time, and then things change at the harvest time. It is, in the end, a parable about eternity and about destination. So I want to show you three things, three truths. There are many truths in this parable. I preached it before uh, over the years, but there are many things uh, that we could talk about, but three in particular I want to give you this morning. Number one, I want you to see the nocturnal deception that is practiced. Verse 25, and then you go to verse 38, 39 that give you an explanation of the parables. See, the good news is that the disciples would say, Jesus, we didn't get it. We didn't understand the message. And Jesus would come back and say, I'm going to explain it to you. And that's what we see in verses 38 and 39. Look at that, if you will, in your Bible. The field is the world and the good seed is the sun Uh, of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them note this is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels he says very clearly uh, in verse 25 that what happened happened at night it happened in darkness Uh, the nocturnal hours the enemy operates in the darkness not one of uh 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 just one of the ways that he operates, but one among many, but he loves to operate in the darkness. And he, one of the ways that he tries to undermine the work of God, the kingdom of God, the church of God, is by infiltrating the church with counterfeit Christians. Now, I put that down when I was making my notes on this passage, he, and because there is the allusion to counterfeit uh, uh, being involved in the process, and I, as I thought about that, I thought, really, there's no such thing as a counterfeit Christian, is there? Because if you're a counterfeit, you're not a, a real Christian, and if you're a real Christian, you can't be a counterfeit, right? But the idea expressed here is that there were those who were masquerading that in our, the field and the world that we live in, there are those, and in the church there are those that, uh, that are masquerading, some perhaps intentionally and some uh, uh, maybe not. But there are three things worth noting about this deception the first is you ought to note when the devil did his work when did he do his work well it was done in the darkness it was done in the darkness why is that well john answers that question for us in john chapter 3 he says and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. It is the mode of operation of the enemy of our soul, the devil, to operate in the cover of darkness. Now, here's the irony. He, the darkness that he operates in is a part of his masquerading in the light. So he masquerades as an angel of light, but he's doing his work deceptively in the darkness where you can't see it. So that's why a counterfeit can often look right, can often sound right, can often seem right, but behind the scenes, it's just a facade. It's a masquerade. It's a masquerade of the light because 
because the darkness is what has captured them. It is the operation of, of the devil himself. They never operate. The devil and his counterfeits never operate, do their schemes in the light because they know the light would expose their schemes. And so he masquerades. The second thing you ought to note about this deception is why the devil did his work. Why did the devil do his work? Well, the Tyndall translation of verse 28, I like the way it phrases it. It says, an envious person has done this. An envious person has done this. You see, the devil, here, here's the bottom line. The devil hates God, and he greatly envies God. Isaiah 14, 14 tells us that the devil declared, I will be like the Most High. That's what got it. That was the beginning of the fall and the process of, the, of Satan being kicked out of, of uh, his uh, high position in heaven with his um demons and the the horde of them that's that's where they were kicked out and it was all because the devil said i'm going to be like the almighty god i want to be just like him the devil hates god he's envious of god but listen because he hates god guess what else he hates you because he hates god he hates humanity and consequently he wants to destroy man he wants to destroy man's soul in hell jesus even said we should fear the one who can destroy our souls in hell he and it's all out of spite and envy for god if if i can't be like you i'm going to destroy those you love i'm going to try to take them down it's been rightly said the devil is not all that interested in weed uh, uh, weed or weeds but he's interested in worship the devil wants to be worshiped and he wants to discredit God, and he wants to totally discredit the kingdom of God. And since the devil cannot get to, directly to God or at God, what he often does is he uh, works against the work of God and against the children of God. And so that's why the devil does what he does. And then uh, third about this deception, you should note how he did his work. He used these counterfeits. Uh, now, he himself is the chief counterfeiter. But the plan of Satan is to imitate the work of God. We see that. We've been talking about in our series on the last days for a year. We've been talking about how uh, one day the Antichrist is a, is a, uh, uh, tries to mimic the power of God and the power of Christ. Satan wants to imitate the work of God. And to do that, he will use uh, counterfeit teachers. He'll use counterfeit doctrine. He'll use, he'll use religious deception. He'll use religious concepts. He'll use religious people. He'll mingle them among the genuine believers. That's how he works. It's nefarious. Maybe you are familiar with Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad, one of the classics of literature, tells the story about the Trojan horse. You've heard of the Trojan horse, haven't you? According to Homer, the Greeks had besieged Troy for 10 years, for a full decade, with no success. And when their great warrior Achilles was killed, many of them wanted to simply give up the fight. But the king of Ithaca, a man named Odysseus, had a plan. It was a brilliant plan. And uh, he said, this will get the Greek army into Troy and give us an advantage. And so Odysseus built an immense wooden horse. And then Odysseus and his warriors climbed up inside the horse. And after leaving the horse at the gates of Troy, the Greek army could be seen sailing off uh, over the horizon. And the Trojans thought, well, the Greeks have finally, after 10 years, they've given up. 
And they've left us this horse as a gift, a peace uh, offering. And so they brought it inside the gates of the city. And then at night, when everybody was at rest and everybody was asleep, at night Odysseus and his warriors, they climbed out of the, horse, uh, the Trojan horse into the city. They began to plunder the city. They set the city on fire. And as the, the Trojans were sleeping, the Greek ships quietly returned from the horizon and, and uh, the gates had now been opened. They came in and they conquered the Trojans uh, and killed anyone as they tried to flee. Deception by darkness. Nefarious. What looked good was really a death trap. And that's what the devil tries to do in your life. He'll present something that looks real good. He's masquerading as an angel of light. It looks real good. And he'll bring it to the gates and say, Here! And if you're not careful, you, you'll become a victim of what is behind the darkness of his deeds. The devil is focused, listen, on the long view. And so present deception is what he uses for eternal devastation. But here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Not only do I want you to, to see the nocturnal deception that was practiced, I want you to see the infernal destruction that was promised. In verses 30 of the parable, he says, Let both of them grow up together until it's time of the harvest, and then the reapers will go, and they will gather the weeds and bind them in bundles to be burned, and the others to be brought into my barn. And then look at verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And verse 42 talks about that place, and throw them into the fiery furnace, that place where there will be weeping and gnashing uh, of teeth. The harvest, he says, is at the end of the age. He talks about this infernal destruction. It's promised, and it refers to two things. It refers to the return of Christ, and it refers to the judgment that follows. And he's talking about several things. He's talking about a future harvest. There's a harvest coming. Sometimes people say this, well, well it just seems like so much evil is out there and God uh, seems to be so vacant sometimes from the evil that's out there what's going on listen remember this God doesn't settle all of his accounts right now and there's a harvest day coming Jesus is trying to tell them and teach them that there's a harvest day coming there's a future harvest why does God tolerate the weeds in between here and there why does God put up with counterfeit, counterfeit Christianity that masquerades? Why does God allow hypocrites to operate? Listen, is it because he's powerless? Not at all. It's because he's operating by his divine plan. And part of that plan comes to us out of Peter where, where Peter writes and says, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's operating by his divine plan. And, and the reason God allows the weeds uh, amidst the wheat right now is because of timing there's a time God's time and God's timing uh, uh, has a fixed point for a harvest a harvest of all in fact revelation says it this way then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour 
to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. That means today is very important. What you do today is very important. That means today, if you don't know Christ, if you've been masquerading as a Christian, today is an important day for you because it is a day of salvation. And it's, it's important because there is a harvest coming. Because God has not moved at the moment does not mean God is going to move in judgment. You see, the Bible says in Noah's day that uh, people were eating and drinking and marrying and doing all of those sorts of things until the day that Noah went into the ark. It says the same thing about the days of Sodom and Gomorrah before the judgment fell. Why hasn't it fallen yet? God's operating by a divine plan. God's operating on His timeline, not on our timeline. And don't be deceived. Don't believe for an instant that you've got time because you don't know that you have any time. We don't know that we have any time. God knows that there's fixed time for us. And that's why today is important. And I, I beg you, if you're watching by live stream or if you're in this audience and you're not sure that you've ever been saved, don't you leave this place thinking, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Walk out of this place saying, I know that I am. Today is important. Not only is there a future harvest, but I want to tell you there's a future separation too. There's a future. All those that have been pretenders will be identified for who they are. Jesus explained that in this same book, Matthew chapter 25, when he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will, look, he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, the fact is, we're, we, we can deceive one another. We, you can deceive me. You can deceive your family. You can deceive your spouse. You can deceive those around you. But you cannot deceive the reaper. You cannot deceive God. And, and you may think, watching by live stream or sitting in this audience, that, that well, nobody knows that I'm lost. No, nobody knows that I'm not saved because I appear as saved as everybody else. But listen, appearances may fool everybody around you, but appearances do not fool God. Don't convince yourself that you're saved because you're as good as everybody around or you look like everybody around. Don't Listen, that's one of the nefarious, dark deceptions of the devil is to get you to compare yourself to those around you. Some of you may think that you're saved because God just lets you sit here today and doesn't do anything with you or to you. Listen, friend, there is a harvest time coming. There is a judgment coming. And Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And if you go on that passage, he says, and be cast into uh, utter darkness. I, listen, friend, you may have been in church most of your life. It's possible you could be a deacon. You, you might have sung in the choir or sing in the choir. You might play in the band. You might be a small group leader. You've been a fine-looking weed. 
But if you're a weed, you're still a weed. I had a man in my church in Texas years ago, and uh, he was one of the finest Christian men that I knew. I mean, I just didn't hold anybody in a lot higher uh, uh, esteem than he. And we're in a, a meeting, a revival meeting, and he comes forward and says, I need to be saved. I said, what? He said, I'm not saved. And I was young, and I, I kind of tried to talk him out of it. I thought, I, if this guy's not saved, none of us are saved. I mean, he's so sweet-spirited, exhibited what I thought was the, the, the character of Christ, was a godly businessman on one of the largest drapery manufacturing firms in the world. And he said, I, I'm not saved. And he got saved. He called on the Lord. He got saved uh, that night. And years later, um, I didn't, by the way, there wasn't a lot of difference outwardly because this man looked, looked mighty good on the outside. So, but the difference was on the inside, what Jesus had done in his life. And he would, to, he would always point back to that night that he got saved. And I can tell you that because later, when I went to Florida, we brought him on our staff to serve on our staff. And I would talk to him and I'd say, Gerald, I said, you sure? Yeah, I mean, was that, do you think maybe you were just reaffirming it? And he said, nope, I was lost. I knew all the right things and I did all the right things. And he said, I wasn't a bad man. He said, I just wasn't saved. And I know that I wasn't saved. That's when I got saved. He pointed to that to the very end. When I went, first, I went to, later to pastor uh, for the first time, I brought he and his wife. They're just sweet people. He's in heaven now. And I brought him down to, to work with our single adults. He's one of the, the sweetest, kindest men I ever knew. I love ministry. But for years, he lived all of that in the flesh. There was no relationship with God. So don't be fooled. There are many who will say in that day, Jesus said, but Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you and this for you and this for you? And maybe that's you. You've given, you've sacrificed. There's just one problem you've never been born again and maybe you think because judgment hasn't come it will not come but surely as i stand here before you this morning it is going to come for all of us and that leads to the final thing that i want you to see this morning and that is the eternal destination provided did you notice again verse 30 verse 43 says gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn and and he reminds us of that again in 42, and throw them in the fiery furnace. He's talking about hell, folks. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of great agony. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. There are two destinations spoken of here. Let me remind you of something today. All of us are going to live for eternity. The question is, where are you going to spend that eternity? All of us are going to live for eternity. Where are you going to spend that eternity? You're going to, to either spend that eternity in the kingdom of God 
or you will spend that eternity in hell. And listen, you don't hear this spoken of too much today. Nobody wants to preach this, but Jesus said it, and it is a place of eternal fire, eternal punishment. And listen, I love you too much to dance around that. And I would not be doing you a service if I didn't tell you that if you've masqueraded as a believer or if you've never trusted Christ as a believer, your destination right now, unless you choose Christ, your destination one day at the judgment uh, uh, is to be cast into the lake of fire with the demons and the devil himself, the Bible says. And it's not something that just gets better over time. So the destinations are you have the option of hell. That's one of them he speaks of right here, where the weeds burn. That's the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'll never forget, years ago, I went to visit a young man. He was in his 20s, and he was a hellion. And his mom, she was a sweet Christian lady, and she was so concerned and prayed for him so often and talked to him, and he just blew his mom off. And he said, Pastor, would you, ever, would you ever, if you're out that way, would you stop by and see him? And I was on one occasion, and so I stopped by to see the young man. It just so happened that he had two or three of his buddies over at the side. They were out, and uh, they were drinking in the yard, and I pulled up, and I thought, God, this isn't going to work out real good. And I got out of the car, though, and I walked up, and I introduced myself to him, and he kind of made a little snide-looking expression on his face and I said look I I've come here to talk to you about something and that is I I want to talk to you about your relationship with God and he goes yeah my mom sent you out here didn't she I said well she asked me sometime would I stop by and see you but I said that's really beside the point because I'm not here to talk about your mom I'm here to talk about your soul and he said well let me just save you some time he said I'm going to hell. And it doesn't bother me. And his buddies are over there kind of... <laughs> and he said, I, I don't mind going to hell. In fact, he said, I look forward to going to hell because my friends are going to be there with me. And when we get there, it's going to be one big party. The arrogance. But worse than the arrogance is the stupidity. As if his arrival was going to change hell. And his arrival was, oh, look who made it, finally made it. It's going to be okay now. He's going to install air conditioning. Everything's going to change. Break out every, uh, every vice because he's here and we're going to party forever. Friend, that's not how it works. Listen to how it works. The Bible says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, everybody's equal at judgment, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now that not, may not be a popular message today, but it's a message that people need to hear. That's how it works. That's how it works. Listen, hell is real. It is no joke. And you cannot change your mind when you arrive. You can't arrive in hell and say, you know what, this is worse than I thought it was. I, I didn't believe. I, I rejected it. And so, I think I've changed my mind. What do I need to do to get into the kingdom of God? There's no chance, and there's no choice. That choice was made when you were here right now. But here's the good news. Hell doesn't have to be, the, it doesn't have to be your final destination. That's just one of two here, isn't it? Because God has provided another option, and that is heaven. Notice he says, where the wheat shines... John Newton, who authored that beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. We all know Amazing Grace. You may not know much about John Newton. You ought to read a biography on John Newton, what God did in his life. He was a part of the slave trade. He, he sold humans into slavery, and God saved him. It's an incredible story. But John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed. He said, we're going to be amazed at three things. Number one, we're going to be amazed at who is also there. Number two, we're going to be amazed at who's not there. And number three, we're going to be amazed that we're there. I ask you this morning, will you be there? Have you ever seen signs like, Proceed with caution, swim at your own risk, dangerous curve ahead, do not enter, keep right, watch for falling rocks. You ever seen signs like that posted along the highway? Why are, they, why, why are they, these signs posted? Why do they put these signs up? They, they are warning signs. They're warnings. They're instruction signs. They are signs to let us know that the wrong choice has consequences that may destroy you. This parable is a warning sign. Jesus is saying there's a harvest coming and there's two options. And Watch, learn, be instructed so that you don't go down in destruction. I, I read about a nightclub named the Gates of Hell. And there was a... a, a a newcomer in the city that this nightclub was in and he had heard about it and he wanted to go to that nightclub and so he was trying to find it and this was back before the days of GPS and so he saw a police officer he asked him he said I'm looking for the club the nights uh, I mean the gates of hell and the police officer understanding that there was also a church on the same street as that nightclub called the gates of hell and he said he said uh, so the guy said, can you tell me how to get there? He said, sure. He says, you go over here to such and such a street. And he said, then if you'll go past Calvary Church, you'll end up at the gates of hell. <laughs> how do you go to hell? Listen, you have to go past Calvary. 
You've got to blow past the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how you go to hell. I said last week, God doesn't send people to hell. He paid for all of your sins. All of our sins have been paid for. God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting what He did for us on the cross. And that's like going past Calvary. That's like just walking right past Calvary, just keeping on past Calvary. And listen, friend, if you do, eventually you're going to end up at the gates of hell. I read this this week from an anonymous author. It says, you call me light and see me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, then blame me not. Would you pray with me? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking about. Don't walk past Calvary. If you are not sure, you may be a fine weed, but a weed is a wheat, uh, is a weed and not wheat. And so I want to invite you to do something this morning. If you're not sure that Christ is your Savior, you can change all of that. You can change the destination. And you can do that by calling on Him. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now in your heart, live stream, live audience, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank You for loving me. I'm not sure I'm weak. Or I know I'm weed, a weed. I want to change that. I want to change the destination. And so I call on you, just as you've instructed me, I call on you. I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and become my Savior. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. I receive you. And I receive the work that you did on my behalf. Some of you in this place and some of you watching by live stream say, I have trusted him, but I've been living a whole lot more like a weed than wheat. And I need to get serious about my relationship with God. Why don't you just tell him that right now in your heart? Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been walking in fellowship. I've been masquerading. I want to take the mask off. I want to live authentically for you. Now, Lord Jesus, hear these prayers. I know you will. You've promised to do so, and so we thank you for that. Hear these prayers this morning. Those who have called on you to become their Savior, Father, begin that inner work that changes the outer man. And they've been living for the outer man. Help them now to begin this new journey of transformation as the Spirit of God now lives inside and begins to shape and change the way they live, the way they think, the way... Father, they operate. We praise you for that. Lord, thank you that we can be here. Thank you for your word. That sometimes, Father, cuts across 
our comfort. But thank you nonetheless so that we never have to guess what you think. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, look this way for just a moment before we're gone. Before we're gone to connection groups. Amen? I mean, how cool is that? I want to invite you, if you pray the prayer, to call on Jesus Christ as your Savior, live stream or in this live audience. Would you do something for us? If you're on live stream, well, you can do it here as well. Text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, to the number 334-384-8080. If you'll text that word PASTOR to us, we'll know what to do with that. In this live audience, you can use the tear-off panel in the back of your worship folder. Just indicate that today you pray to receive Christ. Give us a little information on the front side. And then if you'll tear that off and drop that in the offering baskets on the way out, we'll take it from there. Maybe you want to join Ridgecrest. You can text the word JOIN to that same number. You'll see it on your screen, that number, just the word JOIN. And we'll, again, we'll take it from there. In this live audience, just uh, check that on the tear-off panel. Drop it in the offering baskets on your way out. And uh, maybe you need to be baptized, you know, any of those words you text to us or you indicate on that tear-off panel, we'll get it. We'll, we'll take it uh, from there, and I hope that you will let us know about your decision, whatever it may be.